Hey, what's up, guys? It's J.F. Hicks. If you listen to the Sports Creators Podcast, then you know I'm passionate about helping creatives live their very best life, which includes side hustles and being an entrepreneur. Now, there are some really super sexy aspects to being a creative and entrepreneur, but there are also some not-so-sexy but equally important parts as well. So today, I'm sitting down with Karen DeSwartz from NotYourFathersAttorney.com and we'll go over your legal options, the differences between your options and the kinds of legal structures that are best for sports creatives. We also discuss having the proper legal forms and documents to protect you, your business, and potentially your family. But don't worry. Karen has a way of making this all seem so fun. What's unique about Karen is that she was an early adopter of using social media as a young attorney. You don't often think of those two things, right? An early adopter and being an attorney. She set up her then firm's website, LinkedIn profile, and email marketing newsletter, all while maintaining her billable hours as an attorney. Now, today, I like to think of Karen as being an online marketer who is also a really, really good attorney, helping creative types, entrepreneurs, and mid-sized businesses using a flat fee model for legal services. She's very talented, and I can't wait for you to get into this episode. So I'll get out of the way, but before I do, I have a quick favor to ask. We've introduced the new Sports Creatives newsletter, and of course, I'd love for you to sign up and become a member of our community. This isn't a transaction. It's not about my bank account. The newsletter is free, and of course, we want to grow our efforts. This is about the hashtag SM Sports Community and the Sports Creative Community. It's about sharing resources and tips. It's about understanding that if we harness our individual creativity and knowledge and use it not just to make things, but to grow our overall community, to inspire each other and the next generation of storytellers. So it's super simple. Go to www.sportscreativepodcast.com forward slash subscribe and sign up. That's it. Now, do you know anyone who needs a nudge? Share it with them. Tell them that you're a member and send it along the way. This would mean everything to me. It's so important that we really rally together to grow our shared creative space in the college and professional sports. That's my ask of you. Thank you so very much. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hey, Karen, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Jay. You know what? I'm I'm really excited for our conversation today, and I'm going to share with you why, because I've been looking to I wanted to talk about side hustles and, and, and entrepreneurship, but I needed someone who's worked with creatives, who knows this. And and so when I was able to meet you, like the light went on, like this is something I started in 2019, like literally in October. It was one of the conversations and topics that I really want to have. So I'm really excited for today's show. 
Well, I'm excited to be here, and people don't always say they're excited to talk to a lawyer, so I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to jump right into it. And, you know, for everybody who listens to the show, they know that I love helping our listeners, our community, figure out how to live out their best dreams and and live out the things that they want to do. So one of the things like you have becoming our our official go-to resident legal counsel, right? And so one of the things I want to talk about is setting up a corporation or an LLC. And, and before we get into that, right, we're, we're with the, with the thought in mind that we're talking about people who are thinking out about maybe going out as a solo entrepreneur. Maybe they're doing a side hustle project. Maybe they're thinking about launching a full fledged creative agency. So can you talk about why it's important for creatives to pay attention to these legal entities? when they are thinking about taking on these new ventures, or maybe they're already doing these ventures? Yeah. So, I mean, the short answer is if you are, a lot of people kind of come after the fact and say, I've been actually kind of side hustling for a while. And am I doing this illegally if I don't have an LLC or corporation set up? And the answer is no. You, if you're operating informally, you're operating, you know, like as a sole proprietor or just as an individual, all of your business, you know, side hustle money is going into your personal tax return. And that's great where you want to, where you want to have considered the entity, the formal entity, which would be like a corporation or an LLC is really about liability. And that's to protect you and your personal assets. So there are a lot of good reasons to do that at the forefront, but there are a lot of reasons not to, because in a lot of states, it's really expensive to set up and maintain a formal entity and you also have to do it properly. You don't just like set it up and, right. and forget about it. There's There are formalities that you have to keep going. So it's important to know what those are and, and whether it makes sense for you in that moment in time. Okay. So to that point, which really leads to my, my, my next question, why should uh, creatives pay attention to, or why would they create a legal entity in the first place? Like what things should they take into consideration? Sure. So short answer, the more money you make, the more important it is to protect yourself and the deals that you're doing. So so basically what you're saying is more, more money, more problems. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> um, and also, if you I mean, some people are just starting out, but maybe they have a contact with a really big company. And a lot of companies won't even do business with a person that's not formalized. So that's something to consider mm. if you're going to, you know, maybe if you worked for a big entity. And you're going to go out on right. your own and they're willing to consult with you. So what you're talking about is you you could totally look a lot more before we get into legalese. Just part of it is, is looking more professional, kind of looking the part, you're saying as well, um, to outside entities. Sure. I mean, part of it is, is looking, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk. But part of it is that certain larger companies won't even take on. Like maybe your employer's like, oh, I will totally consult with you if you go out on your own, but they didn't even know that the, you know, their legal team won't even let them work with a sole proprietor that has to be an LLC. And that's, that's just hit and miss with companies, but the bigger the company, the more likely they may want something more formalized like that. So it's just something to consider. That is very, very good to know. Very good to know. Yeah. And then the other piece is just what, you know, how, what kind of high liability, I mean, people don't think about it. Like, you know, it's not a brick and mortar store where somebody might trip and fall and sue you for $10 million. But intellectual property in 
you know, the creative world can be very, very costly, especially when you're working with big brands. And so that's the kind of liability you want to think about. And the reason that you want an entity is because the liability would start and end with the business. So if you own a home, if you have, you know, a retirement account, money in the bank, things that you want to protect, then you want to set up the entity because the the liability and this without getting into the weeds, because I mean, if you don't run it correctly, then that's, you don't, you lose that limited liability, but then you want that liability to start and end. So if you had, you know, $50,000 in assets in your company and somebody sued you for a hundred thousand, they're only going to, even if they win, they're only going to get that 50,000. They can't come after you personally for like the equity in your house or anything like that. Wow. That totally makes sense. Yeah. So, but I mean, sometimes, the liability isn't that high. Maybe you're only working with small businesses or small deals or a couple hundred or a couple thousand dollars per transaction. And, and it doesn't make sense for you yet to formalize it. Sometimes, especially when you're side hustling and you're not sure if you're going to keep doing it, then you might operate as a sole proprietor at the beginning to kind of see if it takes off, how it, how it goes. And the cool thing about any entity is you can change it at any time. So you don't have to say like, what is this business going to look like in 10 years? Like, am I going to sell it to, you know, ESPN? I don't know. Like the, you have to, you have to do what makes sense for you now and kind of what the near term vision is. And you can change the entity. You can change what state it's formed in. You can change what kind of entity it, it, it is at any point in the process. Okay. So that makes sense because some of the, the part I think about the liabilities part of it that, that really jumps out to me because some creators might be sitting there thinking like, I'm not rich. I don't have anything to protect. But now when you're talking about maybe do you own a home? Do you have a retirement? Which, um, many people do. Some obviously don't, but that totally makes sense. What you're saying about the need to do that. So with that in mind, can you kind of break down some of the legal entities? Um, that creatives would think about or maybe possibly uh, use for their for their side hustles or solo entrepreneurship? Sure. So the most common are the sole proprietor. This is the one that doesn't have limited liability to you personally, but it's common because like we said, there are maybe not a lot, there's not a lot of risk involved. There's a lot to protect personally and you don't have to do anything formally. You don't have to file anything with the state. You can just operate. The only caveat to that is if you're not operating as your name, you have to get a DBA, a fictitious business name, and that's with your count, like whatever county you're in is usually the the one that decides how, how you do it. And DBA stands for? Doing business ads. For those that don't know. Doing business ads. Okay, doing business ads. Right, so if I was like, Karen Desoir doing business as not your father's lawyer, I need to have a fictitious business name because if I'm, I can't be out in the, in the world operating as not your father's lawyer, if it's not either a legal entity or a, a people call it a DBA, but uh, fictitious business name. I'm not sure how many people know <laughs> that because basically what you're saying is, because I, I would assume then if you're not using your name, people are assuming if you're using something different that you are a legal entity. Right. That, I think that would be the, the thought process behind it. So if you're not using your name, your legal name, you need to then figure out some legal entity. Is that right. that's, so, is that what you're saying? So the brand, like, let's say you have a brand name, you know, um, I don't know, creative designs and but your name is John Doe. If it's not John Doe creative designs, if you're just out there, if your brand, if you're 
Instagram handle, if your website is just, you know, creativedesigns.com, you have to either be Creative Designs LLC or Creative Designs Inc., or you have to be, uh, have a fictitious business name, the DBA, for yourself personally. And that's also true if you are John Doe LLC, but you operate as Creative Designs, well, the LLC now has to get the fictitious business name. So anytime you're not operating as either your name as an individual or your actual legal entity name, if you have a formal entity, you have to get a DBA. It's so that people know who they're working with, you know? Right. That makes sense. Okay. So what are some other legal uh, you know, entities that creatives should consider? So the, the step up from a sole proprietorship when you're ready to formalize is most commonly an LLC. It stands for a limited liability company. And basically in its most simple sense is that the owners are called members as opposed to like shareholders in a corporation okay. or a company. And the and they own the business and they can manage the business or it can be managed by other people. But in, in a small business, it's typically the, the member or the members run the business. And you have to file a, it's either called like a certificate of formation or articles of organization from, you know, with the state that you are operating in. And then you operate by the kind of form foundational documents is like an operating agreement. And it's all pretty simple. Usually LLCs have pretty minimal requirements. Like they have to file either like an annual or a biannual report with the state and and there's some minimal cost. I mean, some states like in California, any any entity, an LLC or a corporation will pay a minimum tax of $800, whether they make a dollar or a million dollars. So uh, small business. So definitely like, something to take into consideration. Exactly. Some, most states like Texas and Delaware and stuff, it's more like in the $300 to $400 range. So it's not as bad, but it's just something to consider because it's part of the cost of the more formal process and the limited liability. And then big, bigger companies or companies that are need to raise money um, have to be, I mean, not they don't have to be, but they're more commonly a corporation. And that's like a, a traditional C corporation is what you think about when you think about really big companies. And that's just because right. it provides a lot of ways that people can invest money in the business. It's a little more complex of a structure. So if you're bu building something like an app or you know, something that's going to require capital that you want to raise money, then you should do it in the form of a corporation because like a venture capital firm is never really going to invest in an LLC, only a corporation. So that's something to consider. But again, you can't change it as you go. Okay. Um, so those are kind of the major ones that, that creatives should consider? Yeah. I mean, there's each, there's states have different ones. There's like benefit corporations that are kind of like a hybrid of a nonprofit and a for-profit corporation. So if you have, think kind of like Tom's or um, like Method Soap, the ones that are, they do kind of like a buy, you know, for every, for everything you buy, you just basically have a public benefit as, as your main purpose, but it's a, it's kind of a step outside of the regulations of a nonprofit. So you don't have the same, you don't have the same tax benefits of a nonprofit, but I mean, a lot of people know that, you know, having a, a social purpose, like social entrepreneurship is a big big thing. And so that's something that, and that's state by state, it varies state by state. So it depends where you live and where you're running your business, but that's sometimes an option. Right. So that all makes sense. And I know you've worked with creatives in the past and, and obviously other small businesses and entrepreneur. Um, but what are some common mistakes 
that you're seeing or possibly some questions that you're receiving um, in your line of work when it comes to setting up or maintaining an organization? Sure. So one of the, the most common mistakes is when people compare, they call, say, like, do I need to set up an S corporation? And it's just a common misnomer as a an S corp is a tax status, not a legal entity. So an LLC. Mm. Yeah. So an LLC or a corporation can actually be taxed as an S corp. And it has certain requirements, like only individuals or uh, can be shareholders. It has to have uh, no more than a hundred shareholders and some other uh, kind of specifics, but it, it gives a little bit of better tax treatment than a traditional C corp and a little bit of better tax treatment than a partnership, which is the default the, an LLC with one member, its default tax treatment is just as a sole proprietor. And an LLC with two or more members, the default tax treatment is, a, is as a partnership. So it's just basically, it can be tax advantageous to be taxed as an S-corp, but the actual legal entity is an LLC or a corporation. Okay. So that, that's good to know. Um, and this, I know this may be a little bit redundant, but I want to make sure we're giving our listeners all the information that they're needing. So are there maybe several things or, or, or maybe a checklist or some things that entrepreneurs should consider when they're deciding whether to be like a corporation or an LLC? Are, are there several things or some things that you kind of look forward to see which direction to go? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different legal factors. And I know it sounds like a cop out, but really, you should speak to a, a legal and a tax professional about your particular needs and what kind of business you're operating to really determine what you're doing. But kind of that foundational information that we talked about, like, if you're going to be raising money, if it's a really capital intensive you know, project that you want to raise money from angel investors or venture capital firms, that's going to be more on the corporation side. A small business like a side hustler is going to be usually fit into either the LLC if you're looking for that limited liability protection or just the sole proprietorship. Okay. Okay. And one of the things that you that you said earlier, which I thought was really cool, is that you can change, right? You can start as one thing and then as you grow and your needs change, you can make adjustments along the way, right? Absolutely. You're never locked into one thing. I mean, it costs some money and some time to have, you know, an attorney do the whatever conversions you need to do, but it's totally, you're not locked in. You don't have to decide today what you have to be forever. Okay. No, that's awesome. Um, let's circle back around to the LLC because it sounds like um, that's where a lot of our listeners are going to maybe want to start and not that we're advising it, but just based on our de demographics of who's listening. Can you talk about the process of actually forming an LLC? What does that look like? Sure. So, I mean, people are familiar with kind of the, tr let's call it the traditional and the new version. Like the traditional version is going to a law firm and they'll charge you an arm and a leg and do right. everything for you. And then there's kind of that new version, the legal zooms and the ink files of the world, which in some cases can be great. I think what people, I have seen some people that said, oh, I actually just went on the Secretary of State for my state, and I figured it out myself. The document was so easy, and it is. The document that you file is like very easy, but you're missing the whole foundational paperwork that actually creates the 
legalities and the formalities. Like we said, the operating agreement, you need organizational minutes. You mm. want to make sure that you're properly, you know, assigning a membership interest to you and or any other members. And so it's not that complex, but people who think they can do it by themselves are usually wrong because they're not getting any of that piece done. They're just filing that one document with the state. And that that just creates the entity, but it's not really creating any of the protections that are going to make sure that you're operating correctly. So really what people need is the, you know, the filed articles of organization or certificate of formation. They're called something different in every state. And then the foundational documents that we talked about. And then you kind of just need to know where you're going from there. If you're hiring people, either contractors or employees, you're going to need different agreements in place. You want usually like some sort of client work, you know, client service agreement or a statement of work, depending on what you're doing, that you can operate with your clients. And and then from there, that's kind of like the baseline of like, what do I need to start tomorrow? Okay. Okay. So let me ask you this before we get too far. Um, what about, and here's why I'm thinking, a lot of creatives are you know, multi-passionate entrepreneurs, right? They might have like a shoe hustle business. They might have the side hustle business. And we're talking about things that are not interrelated, right? Like different vertical businesses that they're operating. In that scenario, should they think about setting up different LLCs for each businesses they start? Or what are your, what's the thought process? How should they approach that situation? Sure. So this goes back to, the liability question. If you're running everything under one business, then potential liability from one of those verticals can obviously eat into your profits of another vertical because it's all under one umbrella, one entity. So it's all of your assets from everything is is liable in the case of something going wrong. So that's the big risk of doing it all under one umbrella. But sometimes this sometimes it doesn't really matter that it's it's going to be more costly to run it as whatever you decide. I mean, there's different versions. You can run completely separate entities. You can have subsidiary companies that gets a little bit more complex and certainly requires, you know, an attorney and an accountant to make sure that you're doing everything right. But that can kind of separate the liability a little bit. But that's really more when you're, I mean, if you're, if you are, if you're running successful businesses that are completely different from each other, then that's a good time to consider, you know, building something that's complex enough to protect each piece. But when you're just starting out, it's okay to run them under the businesses. And this goes back to what we said, which is you can change it. You can roll the assets out from one business and and create a new business or create a subsidiary. So, you know, it's, kind of a cost benefit analysis when you're just starting out. Right. Okay. I love that. And one of the things that you, you touched on a little bit earlier, but I want to do a little bit more in depth. You talked about, you know, the different legal forms or documents that creatives should have and, and kind of what pops to my mind when you're talking, um, I'm thinking about people maybe who are working with clients and can they use that um, creative in their portfolio and making sure that, I guess with that, what form should they have? And, and kind of here's what I'm thinking is we've been talking is making sure that you're protecting yourself and your interests, because sometimes I'm wondering, are creatives maybe signing documents from the corporation, but it doesn't necessarily it works for a corporation, but it may not look out for their best interest. Does that make sense? Yeah, 
absolutely. So this is actually a, a common misconception about creatives when they, because sometimes they'll bring their own document to the table, but a lot sure. of times, like you said, with these big corporations, they don't want to sign your thing. They want you to sign theirs and it's not protecting the creative. But something that people don't realize is just because you're working with a big company doesn't mean that you can't edit their agreement and say, you know, I want, can we change this, can we do that? The, I mean, the worst case is they say no, but you can have that discussion and you can yeah. redline their agreement into something that's a little bit more fair for you. And usually it's not a big deal when, you know, when, when it's fair, when it's fair for everybody. And so they're obviously going to draft it in their favor if they're the ones drafting it, just like you would draft it in your favor if you're the one drafting it. And so it's, it's very uncommon, but totally underutilized. Creatives should consider, you know, either themselves or using an attorney to redline an agreement that they get from a, another company. You rarely are going to want to sign exactly what they say. You know, right. it's, it's rarely going to have everything perfectly set out for you. And that's like you, you touched on it. The big things is the intellectual property, you know, who owns what there's two different ways that's commonly done with creatives is one, they, they hand over all of the intellectual property rights, but they have a right just to like show it in their portfolio. And, and, and I want to jump in here actually, real quick because sure. what, because one of the things that for people who haven't started, you know, and, and I know this from my experience and, and talking to other um, colleagues is if you don't pay attention to these things, what could happen potentially, right, is that you sign their agreement. You you work for an amazing company, maybe work on a really cool project, and then potentially you couldn't use it in your portfolio. You potentially couldn't use it um, on your uh, website. And then it's like you do this great project, but it then it doesn't benefit your career because no one knows about it. It's kind of like, um, exactly. you, know, you know, it's kind of like if, if you're in a relationship and you close that dishwasher, if the other person doesn't see it, did it happen? <laughs> right, exactly. No, and that's one of the most important things if you're reviewing somebody's somebody else's agreement and, and you're going to sign it is what kind of rights do you have to the to you know, share what you've done. And a lot of times, especially with big companies, they have very strict rules about how you can use their trademarks and their name and everything. But, uh, you know, asking to show it in on your Instagram profile on your website, usually they will be okay with it. And, and you don't have it doesn't have to be all or nothing. If they say no, we don't want it on the website, you can say, well, can I show it on Instagram? Maybe they'll say yes. Can you say, can I have it in a physical portfolio at least to show clients in person? You know, and that's a negotiation that you're talking about, like a, exactly. you know, not not just just taking the L or the loss, but working through and seeing what can we do. Exactly, and and reasonable companies and people, people are generally reasonable. That people will usually come to the table and find a middle ground that works for everybody and creative. They don't have to feel, especially when you're working with big companies, you don't have to feel scared or like you don't have any clout. You can negotiate these things. It's not unless you're coming with crazy, unreasonable requests there. There is a middle ground that you guys can come to where you're getting something out of it, too. That's super awesome. I absolutely love that. All right. So let's quickly run through what are some forms um, that creatives 
that are operating, what are just a, you know, maybe a half a dozen or so or whatever number you think is appropriate? What forms do creatives absolutely need to either have or consider having? So it depends. Lawyers say this a lot. It depends, but it really depends on what you're doing. But a couple of basic things that you need is number one, every single person in the United States that has a website are they're required by law to have a privacy policy. So if you don't have one on your website, get it on. I can't tell you how many websites I see that don't have it, including larger ones, but you need it. A privacy policy is basically just saying how you're collecting people's private information. If you are a, like a, if your website is just like a portfolio, then really all you need to have is just kind of the basics. Like, you know, if you put your email address in, we're going to send you a, you're going to be on our newsletter, um, or maybe we'll send you offers or events or whatever that, you know, whatever it is that you do. And there are, I'm not a huge fan of Googling for free templates because there's a lot of stuff out there that's not good. You just don't know what you're getting, right? You you don't know what you're getting. You don't know if it's going to be appropriate for you. Exactly. But if you know some, you know, bigger company, there are some big, there are some legal templates. I I offer templates as well that have, it has all the information and you basically cut out what you don't need. Um, So, and there's instructions on how to do that. And so there are companies like that and, and sites out there that offer that. And you can get a sense for what other people are doing in your industry by looking at their privacy policies. But I never recommend, not recommend, I tell you, don't do it. Don't copy and paste for a lot of reasons. The first is Mm. it's it's copyright infringement. But the second is you just don't know, like, did they get it from a lawyer? Is theirs legitimate? You know, so that's why I would say don't don't Google for these contracts. Got to go to the source. Yes. Yes. A common mistake actually is that people take contracts from their friends. They're like, oh no, my friend used the lawyer. So I know it's legit. Well, first of all, that's actually copyright infringement on the lawyer's content because the lawyer has the copyright to the contract that they created. So good luck with that. But second, you don't even know if, you know, little, what if there are little nuances that that person operates, you know, a different way than you or whatever. So um, or that it doesn't work for you. So it's it's just really never a good idea to Google for or borrow, you know, contracts. It's really the best thing you can do is to get get it for yourself and, and what you need. Um, those contracts would be like whatever we said, a, like a client service agreement or a statement of work, something that is basically okay. that forms the basis of the relationship with your clients. What, you know, what are you doing? How much are you being paid? You know, how are you being paid? What are the terms? Intellectual property rights. And I, I think this is so huge. And this may sound silly, but obviously in our in this industry and, and traveling around with a lot of teams um, that I've done in my career, you, you watch a little bit of daytime TV. Cause sometimes you just need to kind of clear your mind before, you know, a game in the evening. <laughs> and so that said, I'm not saying I did, but there are people I know who travel in our industry and they've watched Judge Judy or another judge type show. And, I'm, and when you're talking, I'm thinking how huge this is because it seems like a lot of the issues that end up in those courts, as funny as she is and the memes that, that are out there, a lot of them is because they haven't defined mm-hmm. the relationship, right? Like all the things that you just said when they're getting paid, what does that look exactly. like? So are these things basically what you're saying? If you, if you have these things, they'll help make sure that there's, there's not issues. Cause it seems like in business, uh, the, a lot of the, the issues that I've seen are just miscommunication, right? You and I talk and then we get off the phone 
and you think one thing in terms of executing a project, I think another, and then down the line, when we actually execute, you're like, no, 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 that's not what we said. And it seems like that's a lot of business issues in this area. Absolutely. That's, I mean, for the most part, that is exactly what it is. It's a miscommunication. And to be honest, just like, because lawyers are always talking about worst case scenario, I mean, big companies with the best lawyers in the country or the world get end up in court with mis, you know, miscommunications about intent of contract terms also. But the point of a contract is really so that all the parties involved are on the same page about all the terms. Yes. And, and not just that, but also how it contracts should have a kind of a detailed information about what happens if things go wrong. Is it mediation? Is it arbitration? Do you go to court? Do you have a jury or not a jury? And those things matter because it depends on what you're doing. A lot of big companies want, a, they do a waiver of a jury trial because juries are more sympathetic to the small guy than the big company. So did you waive your right to a jury trial? And now the judge is going to, you know, side with the big company. And so those are a lot of things that you want in that contract in case things go poorly. And nine times out of 10, they don't. Right. So that's the good news. <laughs> and, and what you're talking about today, which is why I, I was so excited for this show, is you're talking about, you know, you running your business rather than your business running you. Exactly. Right. You're in the driver's seat. OK, so I'm huge on the start. Right. Like I, I think we live in this culture. I talk about it all the time for people who listen. Is it like people look at someone who's got 40,000 Instagram, 100,000 or 1 million, and then they're like, oh, I want to get there. And, you know, I'm really big on what we talk about, the 10,000 hours of toil and just the start and the grit to keep going day after day. And so I, I say all that to say for people who are sitting at home and they're sitting at zero. And they're thinking about doing something. What are like three things that you would recommend if you're going to get started today? Not tomorrow, not next week. You're not going to think about it today. What are three things that you would recommend creators do today if they're going to start a, a side hustle or a business? So because we talked about the, you know, the possibility to operate as a sole proprietor, I actually put that the entity decision behind the contract. And that's because as soon as you're exchanging money for services, you need to have a contract in place. And so that's the number one thing. If you're doing business. So number one is contract. Do it with a contract. That, that, that is like do it with the yes. contract. Okay, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. And then the second piece would be to decide right now with the type of business you're doing, does it make sense to form an entity or can I keep going as a sole proprietor? Or maybe you've been operating as a sole proprietor, but now you go, oh, I realize now I need that business license and I need to do a DBA and all these things. So that's kind of the second piece. And then the third piece, which is pretty general, but I think that people get overwhelmed with the legal and accounting and all the professional services because they don't know what they don't know. But you can ask questions at each stage, like, what is it that I think I need? You know, what can I, what can I search for out there? What can I help? I know I do like a little startup checklist that just, it's not like, oh, do this, this, this. It's like, here are things to think about. And, when and where can people get this checklist? Starting and running a business. Is this on your, like, you... Um, you can get it on my website at, it's at notyourfatherslawyer.com. Okay. I'll put that in the show links, put that in the show links. Yeah. And, and it's, it gives you like somewhere to start, like, 
oh, I didn't even think about trademarks. Should I think about trademarking now? Maybe I want to talk to somebody about that. And and each of those things are so unique to each company and where they're at and how much money they have to spend. And and so, you know, people have, especially when they're starting out, they have like a finite amount of money that sometimes when you sit with a lawyer or an accountant that people can say to you, here are the five most important things, but since you only have enough money to do three, let's put these two aside and let's work on these three. And and that's okay. That's, that is the right start. And so just asking at every stage, you know, what do I need now? What, what issues do I see? What, what do I think, you know, I need to formalize the relationships I'm, I'm in with my, you know, with my clients, with my vendors, with my employees or contractors. So those are, that's the best thing to do is just ask, ask yourself and then reach out and find, find answers to those questions. And, and I love what you're saying, because also one of the keys that you, and I'm just going to point this nugget out because people might not have recognized it. And even if they did, I'm going to hit on it. Cause I think it's so huge. It's, it sounds like what you're saying too. And I, and I've known this to be uh, important in my business is to find people who are used to working with folks like you, right? So if you are, you know, like someone like yourself, which is part of the reason the conversation today, you're used to working with small businesses and entrepreneurs um, and creative types. So you need to find people as opposed to maybe going to a firm that's just pretty much usually working with corporate folks that they're building and there's nothing wrong with that business, but they may not be used to working with the client that you're describing, right? Like the creatives. Exactly. And a lot of people are, you know, oh, my cousin's brother's sister-in-law is a, you know, lawyer and, and maybe they're not the right fit. Maybe they don't have the right experience or they're in a completely different area of law. Lawyers are like, I get asked a lot about, you know, divorce and, and a DUI and whatever. And it's like, I have no idea. That's not my area of law at all. So, well, you know, lawyers work in very specific niches. And so it's important that you're, you're working with somebody that does understand your particular business and somebody that's willing to listen to you because, you know, lawyers are not known for being the friendliest bunch. <laughs> well, I will say this. Creatives can, can we can recognize and, and appreciate what you're saying, because everybody who's who's worked on, a, you know, on a side project or uh, an entrepreneurial project will talk to someone. And, and that person sometimes starts out with like their cousin is, you know, going to art school and, you know, they might make the logo. So that all that totally makes sense. But all right. So before, <laughs> totally. before I get too far off. Uh, off. I'm a big process guy. I talk about this all the time. I think success is having a process, believing in the process, defining where you're going and then making changes along the way. And I bring all that up to say, uh, so now you set up the, the business entity, you're operating with clients. One of the things I know you're not a tax professional, but I just want you to touch on this because I, I have had people who've run into this. What are your thoughts on working with the tax professional or getting some sort of advice about taxes, right? Because now we're taking in this money, money, and at some point we're going to have to deal with that. Yes, I am one hundred percent on board with bringing on a tax professional as soon as possible. And that doesn't mean you need to pay a CFO for your business, or even have you know. There's like bookkeeping, but if you're doing three transactions a month, you could probably handle your own bookkeeping. Right. But it's it's important to sit down with an accountant and say somebody that, again, works with small businesses because they're going to help you. And this is not just like the, on, the, on the kind of global, on the big side, on the big dream side. You want to get it right because what if you grow your business and somebody wants to buy it, you know, to be, you could be acquired, or you could sell it. 
And then, oh, actually, your books are a mess and we don't want it anymore. I've seen that happen before. So that's like you're talking about what, having what the they call clean books, been, right? Clean books. Yes. And then that's one thing on the big side. But on the on the small side, one of the benefits of being a business owner is there's a lot of opportunity for tax write off yes. and minimizing your expenses. And you know, you can read a little bit about it, but the truth is that an attorney—I mean, sorry—a tax professional that's working with small businesses that has that experience that knows, you know, what can you write off, what can't you write off, where are things that you're missing. That's really an opportunity to scale your business because it's more money in your pocket. So I think it's so important to do. I it was one of the first things I did when I started my business, and um, it's it's very valuable to be, being able to grow your business. Okay, quick question. I brought it up, so I have to. We we have to address the clean books. Can you explain to people? I know you're not not necessarily from a tax perspective, but can you explain what that is? Because I did bring it up. So basically, that you're running all of your. I mean, in the simplest sense, from when you're starting out, that you're running all your business expenses through your business, right? And that your so your revenue and your expenses are all coming out of it. So number one, you open a business bank account. And all your expenses go through there. All your revenue goes through there. A common thing that I see is like, especially when you're starting out or you're side hustling, somebody wants to PayPal or Venmo you. And that's fine. You can set up an account to your business bank account. But if you're taking a Venmo into your personal account and then you're not properly like moving it and accounting for it and stuff, and even if you're, you are properly moving it, you are opening the door to the light. This is where we go back to this right. limited liability from yep. a legal standpoint yep. and then also from a tax standpoint. So those are the things that you want to do. You want to keep everything nice and clean in your business. So ha open your business checking and savings account, open a business credit card, have everything run through the business, all the revenue, all the expenses. And then, you know, if you have, if you get to the point where you have a bookkeeper that can kind of tag all the different Expense, types of expenses mm -hmm. and types of revenue and all that. Gosh, I almost, I, I almost was like, felt like I was in church. I was about to jump up and down and start shouting. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you know what? You just dropped some gems when you're talking about the books and accounting because I, I, again, I'm so happy we've had this conversation because I feel like it's such a needed item because a lot of creatives out there are, you know, they're able because of the skill set and this explosion in the, in the digital space, they're able to do side projects and, and create things for people and shoot photographs and videos and create graphics. And so this has been such a fruitful conversation. Um, I really want to thank you for coming on. And I think we're going to have you back because I, you know, we just scratched the surface today about getting started. And um, <laughs> I feel like you, you, you gave us that, those nuggets. Um, but one of the things I want to do is give you time to talk about where people can find you and just some of the services, what do they look like on social media as well? Uh, yeah, you can find me at the website, notyourfatherslawyer.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at notyourfatherslawyer. Um, I do all kinds of services. I have the templates, like I mentioned, about different templates for kind of the, it's great for people starting out because it's a little bit cheaper than the custom work, but I do all kinds of services, basically anything to do with starting and running a business. And I love working with creatives, especially, but I do all kinds of industries and been a little over 10 years as a, a corporate lawyer. So I've kind of seen and done it all at this point. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time. We we know how to to find you. I'm also going to put all this in the show link. So if you're listening, go to the website. Um, 
sportscreatorspodcast.com. Look for the episode and you'll find all the links that, that you just mentioned. But thank you so very much for coming on. And we look forward to having you on again. Thank you so much, Jay. I had a great time. All right. That wraps it up. A couple of things before we get out of here. The Sports Greatest Podcast is found on sportsgreatestpodcast.com. I'm J.F. Hicks. You can find me using the handle at J-A-Y, the letter F, Hicks. That's J.F. Hicks all over social media and the internet. Leave a comment or a question and I'll respond as soon as possible. Let's connect. Let's connect.